Did you tell him we're starting it? I don't remember. <laughs> uh, told, oh man, he gave away my message. So we're getting ready to start the book of Romans. We just finished up First uh, and Second Peter. Um, before we get into today's message though, let's open up in prayer. Father God, thank you for your grace, God. Uh, I thank you, God, just for that, that last song we, we sang, God, to you the glory and the power forevermore, God. I pray today, God, as we, as we come to hear from you today, God, that you would speak in and through me, God, that it would be by your Holy Spirit that the word is shared today, Lord. And I just thank you for each and every person that's here. And, and I just rebuke the enemy from this place. And I just pray, God, that, I, that you would just fill me with your spirit and just preach your word. And I say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool, so we're going to just jump right in. Um, a little bit of, uh, well, let's read Romans 1, 1 through 7, and then I'll tell you guys the story of how we came to deciding on the book of Romans. So Romans 1, we're going to be reading out of ESV version. We have it up there. Sweet. We're testing out our new program. So far, so good. I like it. Hope you guys do. Uh, so Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations." including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks. So, as we meet as leadership team, uh, as a leadership team, uh, me and my wife and Chris and Maria and Tony and Jan, we all get together on most Friday nights and kind of discuss church business, pray together, uh, spend time together, and, and just enjoy life together. Um, and we, we started talking about a new sermon series a few weeks ago and trying to decide on what we're going to do, what direction we're going to go, uh, where God's leading us. And I brought up a couple books, and so then we decided we're going to spend the next week and we're going to pray about uh, what we're going to preach on, what, what, what God's wanting us to share and go through with you guys as a church together. Um, so we spend a week in prayer, and we sit down in our meeting, and, and Chris, he kind of opens, he's usually the first to speak when we're all kind of quiet, and he opens up and he's like, yeah, I, this book, I, I kind of, yeah, I could see, and yeah, and this, but what about the book of Romans? And he starts talking about the book of Romans, and uh, he gets done talking, I'm like, man, that's funny, because I hadn't had the book of Romans in mind either, but... God drew it to my heart, too. Like, it wasn't one that we talked about. So we, watched, we got on the Bible Project videos. Anybody ever watch the Bible Project videos? Nobody? You guys should check out the Bible Project. Um, and we watched those videos, and we decided just to spend some time in prayer together. So we turn on some music, and we're over at the Polito's house, and the six of us just begin praying. And just seeking God's guidance on what and why he was drawing us into Romans. And we're praying. And we spend a good like 10 to 15 minutes in prayer. And, and Chris prays. And Jess prays. And I pray. Maria prays. Jen prays. Tony prays. Chris prays. Nick prays. And we're just kind of going around the room, spending time in prayer, seeking the Lord on what he wants us to do. And we get done and we start talking about it some more. And, you know, what are you guys saying? What do you guys, where do you feel like he's leading us? 
And Jen brought up the point, like, you know, when we were praying about all these things to preach on, the only one we really, like, mentioned was Romans. So we didn't mention anything else. We just talked about praying in, in Romans. Um, so that was kind of like one thing that was like, okay. And, and then we turned to, you know, if you guys ever sat in a meeting with Tony, he's, he just kind of sits back and takes everything in, listens, and doesn't say much. So somebody finally asked, Tony, what do you think about preaching to the book, book of Romans? And he drops the hammer on us. He says, John Piper studied Romans for seven years before he preached out of it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> dang. <laughs> and he's like, wait, 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 no, that doesn't mean I'm against it. And he explained, because it was a book that, like, that was what led him to the Lord. And it's one that was very near and dear to him. And he's been afraid to, not, I don't know if afraid to, but hasn't, I can't speak for him. But he's just been cautious to approach it and preach out of it because it is so near and dear to him. And I can relate because when I play songs, you know, the song, When the Music Fades, I remember from the day I got saved, it took me years to be able to play that for you guys. And it actually wasn't too long ago that I played it. So it's something that's very near and dear to Pastor Tony's heart. And he's excited to preach through it. I'm excited to go through it. And in kind of explaining the who wrote it in context, we'll get to why, one of the reasons I feel like the Lord is leading us there. Um, so, I'm trying to think if I left anything out. I feel like there was something else I was going to say. Anyways, so let's talk about who wrote it. Who wrote it? Paul. Paul, Paul the artist formerly known as Saul, as I like to call him. <laughs> so, the artist formerly known as Saul, the Apostle Paul, um, he wrote it. He was a representative for Jesus. He was going about establishing churches and occasionally would write them. This is, uh, he wrote 13 letters to seven churches. This is one of those letters. And as a reminder, when I talked about 2 Peter and the context and the letters and the epistles, um, I, I said it today. We're going through the book of Romans. This is a letter to the Romans. Um, it's not just a book. Uh, the epistles, they are all letters. They're real letters. They're people's mail. So we're tampering with people's mail. We're all going to go to jail for it. So, um, but they are real letters. Uh, the book of Romans, is, it's not a, a theological essay on uh, ethics. It is written for a specific situation and, and has a particular purpose. Much like, like most of God, all of God's word. <laughs> So it's written for a specific situation and serves a particular purpose. And I want to ask you guys, and this is just kind of off of, you know, things that I read, but do you guys like to read the epistles, the letters, the book of Romans? Do you guys like to read these letters? Do you guys have a reason, like, are you guys drawn more to the letters than, like, Gospels or Old Testament? No? Are they a little easier to read, maybe, than some of the other stuff? Can anybody else relate to that? Well, I can. <laughs> so they're they're a little bit easier to read. They're written in like I U statements. Um, like Chris said, like it makes it feel immediately relevant, um, and, and that's why I, you know a lot of people like to read them. But they're about Jesus, they're why, we, why he matters, and how we live. So, 
context in the setting of Romans is written about A.D. 57. And this is after, so Emperor Claudius in A.D. 49 uh, kicked the Jews out in A.D. 49. And they start returning after his death in A.D. 54. So they're starting to trickle in. And this is when that was written, in that kind of that time period, uh, right around they were starting to come back in. And from the text, from the book of Romans, we gather that it was written to about a half a dozen churches, and the letter was carried by a deacon, deaconess named Phoebe. And again, we learn about when they bring the letters, they come, they present the letter, they give it back. And they've actually, like, a little more that I learned about the letter carrier is it was almost like a performance for them when they would read these. And they were well versed in what the letter said. And Phoebe probably spent a lot of time with Paul and knew the gospel and was saturated in the gospel. So she could answer any questions that people might have about what was written in the letter. And I also learned that it was like when Paul asked questions in here, there's 30 something, 30, 34 questions I think that he asked as you go on. Somebody went through and counted them. It, it was actually custom that like they're not just hypotheticals. Phoebe would stop and, and ask the question and expect uh, an answer. So uh, what we know about the uh, church in Rome is that it was an ethnically diverse church. When you get towards the end of the book, he starts naming off all these names. There were Jewish names, Latin names, and Greek names. So we have a church made of, uh, of uh, some Jewish Christians and, and some, I guess, Gentile Christians. Christians. And it was ethnically diverse. And we can also learn from, as you get towards the end of the book of Romans, uh, I know I'm starting at the end, it's weird. But as we, in Romans 16, 17, I didn't pull it up. I forgot that I had other verses. But anyways, Romans 16, 17, it says, I appeal, appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So there is some kind of division going on in the Roman church because of this Christian or Jewish Christian background and then the Gentiles uh, come to know Jesus, and the church was actually established from what they think is from the day of Pentecost, that there were Roman uh, people at the day of Pentecost, and then they went back to Rome, and that's how the churches started there, and then when they were kicked out, the Gentile congregation grew, and the Jewish Christian uh, congregation was now smaller, and and kind of the the, uh, weaker vessel, I guess. And so we have this, in chapters 14 and 15, he talks about these divisions and what's dividing them and uh, refers to the weak and the strong. Like I said, the Jewish believers were kind of the weak ones. The Gentiles were now the strong ones. And uh, we get a little glimpse of this divide there. And I I pulled up uh, this author named Scott McKnight, and he does a, a commentary on the book of Romans. And he talks about chapter 14 and the weak and the strong in this way. And I got this quote here. It says, The weak are Jewish believers who are in in the stream of God's elect people, who know and practice the Torah and still probably attend synagogue, but who sit in judgment on Gentiles, especially the strong in the Christian community of Rome, even though they have no status or power. 
The strong are predominantly Gentiles who believe in Jesus as Messiah, who do not observe Torah as God's will for them, and who have condescending and despising attitudes towards Jews, and especially the Jewish believers in Rome, over whom they have superior high social status in Rome. The tension between these is not just a matter of theological differences, powerful and non-powerful. For Romans 15.1 are status terms in the Roman world. So the, the Jewish Christians want to kind of keep their same customs and do the same things that they were doing, but then they got kicked out, and the Gentiles are starting to do their own thing now. So now there's this division in the church. And, and I'm going to share with you guys, like, I don't see this here, and I'm encouraged by that, but I've got a little illustration of something that is causing division in churches right now. And I sat on a call with some uh, men from Acts 29 and similar churches to us and even in size. And this thing right here, you would not believe the division it is creating in churches. Do you guys know what this is? It's a mask. It's not my underwear. <laughs> so it is it, mask right here. And I just kind of sat heartbroken listening to one of these pastors. Um, he's in Washington. Their community has been hit hard by coronavirus. They're, they got like the most cases in, the, in, the, in Washington in their county, and they're like a rural county like us. And this local health department is required for any public gatherings that they have to wear a face mask. So he wants to have a public gathering and be with his church, be with the, you know, be with the church, and puts it out there. We're going to have service, but here's what our local health department requires. And he had eight people withdraw over the mask situation, that he was asking them to wear masks. Eight, not, not eight people, eight families withdraw. And one of the men, uh, so their church plant, they have a mobile setup. Um, they put everything in a trailer. And so one of the men he found out was withdrawing from churches. He just didn't, he, he was supposed to be the guy towing the trailer to their venue so they could hold service. He just didn't show up. So the first Sunday that they were planning on being back, they had to cancel because they couldn't get their, their equipment there. Second Sunday, uh, or, you know, the following week, he meets with another guy and they talk. The mask situation gets brought up and they begin talking about it. And, and he thought it, like it was a good discussion. The guy was coming to set up, pull the trailer. Um, Saturday night before service, he sends him a text, says, we still on tomorrow? And he gets a one-word answer. Nope. And he says, is this about our mass discussion? Yep. And he hasn't heard from him again. And, and so that's like, I, I'm encouraged that I don't see that kind of division here, but I, I just want to, like, it's, it's really happening. There are things that are splitting up churches and dividing churches, and we're not exempt from that. And I, I, my prayer is that during this time that we would just look to Christ. That we would look to Christ and just see that no matter what, like, Man, he's so much bigger than this stupid thing right here. 
And so we're going to dive into this and see how Paul walks them through divisions in the church and unifies them over the cross of Christ. Gospel communities, which we're literally gospel community church, should major in love and support. We should be majors of love and support in all our relationships with other followers. To embody the grace God has given us and shown us through Christ Jesus. So that's why I think that we're going through the book of Romans. Almost like a warning that, that like this is happening, this is real. Also, there is a real enemy out there. There's a real enemy out there, and, and like he's, he's on the prowl. He's on the prowl hard. So let's get in uh, to Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Man, I, <laughs> just a side note, this church is called Harvest Community Church in Washington, and I, I just encourage you guys to pray for it. For him this week, uh, his name's Pastor Jason. Uh, he just seemed so like defeated and everything. He also had another thing that that, that brought up division um, when things happened with George Floyd and there were all the protests. He made a post on their Facebook page, had one family withdraw because they thought he shouldn't have addressed it and said anything on it, and then he had another family withdraw because he didn't say enough. And it's just like, man, it's just like disheartening to see that happening. And, and that one just stuck out to me. But there were, there were six of us on here, and I felt like we're in a completely different world. Like hearing what these churches in Nevada and Oregon and Washington are going through. And, and I was like, man, you guys, I'm sorry. Like we've been meeting together since May. <laughs> and it just sounded like... I didn't even want to speak up because I like just the, the, the hardships that they're going through. And I realized in that moment too, like how fortunate and blessed we have been. And it's just, you know, God opened my eyes to that this week. Too, because I've been throwing ten temper tantrums about service here and there. <laughs> Not having things work out. I'm like, ah, I just want things to work out. But then I see how fortunate we are to be able to just gather together. And I was like, man. I'm sorry, Lord. Um, but yeah, let's get into Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So right away, uh, I think it's in the NIV version. I should have pulled that one up. That would have been good to have. It says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. And what does a slave to Jesus look like? Anybody brave enough to share? What does a slave to Jesus look like? Well, a slave is someone who serves, who obeys, who honors their master. So. Okay. Obeys, serves, and honors Christ. Cool. I'm going to start calling you Hermione. Anytime <laughs> 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 we need participation, Jen raises her hand. <laughs> Uh, anybody else? Come on. Nobody's got answers for a slave to Jesus? All right. 
So we'll, we'll kind of take a look at, at, at what a slave to Jesus looks like. And I feel like Paul lays it out in those first few, you know, words even. Um, but let's talk about Paul's conversion, the artist formerly known as Saul. Um, and, and he's on the road to Damascus and Jesus comes, blinding light, knocks him down. And he says, why do you persecute me? And Paul's life, well, Saul's life from that moment changes. He gets a new identity and a new name, and he's now Paul, a servant and representative for Jesus. So what does a slave to Jesus look like? Let's, let's take a look. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called. Called. To be a slave of Jesus, you first need to be called. Called to be what? An apostle. The Greek word here is apostolos. And we just robbed it and just made it into apostle. We didn't really change it much. but And it means a representative or an ambassador. So we often look at apostles that they were there with Jesus, witnesses to Jesus. Everything that happened is, is uh birth, death, resurrection, that they were all there. That's what we think of as, you know, look to as when we think of apostles or say apostles, but the word actually is a representative or an ambassador. We've heard that before. So, called and chosen representatives and we're set apart. We're holy. This is what being a slave to Jesus looks like. We're called to be a representative set apart for what? The gospel of God. I skipped a line here in my notes. By the way, a representative or ambassador is something that's like very serious. Should be anyways, right? We, we vote in our representatives and senators and that kind of stuff. But it is, to be a representative of something should be something taken very serious. Like I work over at Bookcliff. I'm an, I, I look at myself as an ambassador for their company, the way I conduct myself in and out of the workplace. Like I, I'm an ambassador for Bookcliff. I'm an ambassador for this church and for Christ and everything I do, like I take serious so that, you know, I don't distort the name of Jesus. And it's not something to be taken lightly. But we're set apart for the gospel of God sent to preach. Our willingness to serve Christ, to be a slave to Him, enables us to be useful and usable children of love. To be a slave to Jesus means to renounce all other masters, get rid of all the idols that you might have, and identify with Christ. And when we become them slaves to Jesus, we want to discover and press in to what that really means to be a slave to Jesus. And Paul covered it. Called to be an apostle, a possible apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Side note: I was reading a Charles Spurgeon commentary, and I liked that he 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 uh, 
He made a point here, and I don't know if this was Paul's point, but it really identified with me. Set apart for the gospel of God. God saying he's, or, or Paul saying he's set apart for the gospel of God. And Charles Spurgeon said, notice he didn't bring up politics or ethics or anything else. There's other people to do that. Paul felt that he was called to be set apart for the gospel of God. And, and I really feel in that same way, like, there's people way smarter than me out there in some of those things. I'm going to preach the gospel of God because I'm somewhat good at it. Verse 2, which he promised beforehand through, beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised. You know, Paul uses, as it is written, Jesus would say, have you not read? It is all like, everything points to Jesus. It was all promised beforehand from the beginning of time all the way in, until we get to Revelation. And, and then it's revealed what's happening. So we have like this, this kind of this storyline that goes along and we have Jesus come and then uh, we're kind of in the same moment as the letters and the epistles and we know the end already. So the church is still expanding. The church is, people are still being sent out to preach the good news and these letters serve great purpose and have uh, such value to us now. And it was all promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So he gets into just laying out the gospel in his greeting. He was the Son of Man. He was the Son of God. He was royalty. He died and was raised from the dead. And it opens the door for us now. opens the door for us now. I just love, like, there's so much in this greeting. I, I, I had a fight and struggle. Um, I'd had to, I, I did cut some short today. Uh, but I started, and I could have done just everything on verse 1. Uh, but we had laid it out, and I didn't communicate with Chris. So we're covering it all, but there's so much in just this little greeting right here, in these six verses, and Paul talks about what it means to be a slave of Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. He lays out simply what the gospel is. And here we gather from what Paul says what the good news, what the gospel is, that it is divine in nature. That it was breathed out from the, you know, through God, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It was promised. It was promised. And it's centered around the incarnation, the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. 
and it's accredited and authenticated by Jesus for worldwide pro proclamation. That's the good news. All of that and that little, that, that, that simple opening, that short opening. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, we're on seven, by the way. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the only source for our security and salvation through grace and peace. And I, I had a question, a headline on the top of my notes here, asking, what is your attitude towards God? What is your attitude towards God? Hearing that He wants you to be a slave to Him, how does that change things? Does your attitude toward God rest in grace and peace? I, I shared earlier about churches being torn apart. And it's so heartbreaking. And again, I'm so thankful that we have an experience of that. But it's a warning. Like it's going to take all of us. This is going to be a shared labor as a church to spread God's word. To share the gospel, to share the news as a church. Through our love for one another through the sacrifices we make for one another, it's going to break all barriers, backgrounds, social classes, whatever. It's going to break all that. And we're going to come together in, in all walks of life and we get to be a part of God's workmanship as He draws people into His fold. We get to labor together as a church. Like I, I, I seen some of. The, I was when we come in in the mornings. I see everybody talking, and it's just like we can see the love. I can see the love that you guys all have for one another. And even uh, Dave, you just walked up to George, and you guys are talking about community group, and it's just so encouraging to see God's people just like sharing the labor and wanting to pour into one another, and that you guys are doing the work because of the cross. Because it was all laid out on the cross. That's how we stand together. That's, that's why we stand together. That's the motivation for what we do. I heard a, a, a snippet of a podcast I was listening to. And he talks about being moved by the Holy Spirit. And he called it spirit-guided improvisation. There's a lot of words for being moved by the Spirit. But Spirit-guided improvisation, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit because of the work done on the cross that Christ gave us the Helper, and now He's sending us out, not just as individuals, but also as a church to share in the labor together. And like I said, through our love and sacrifice for one another, 
God will draw people into his fold and he will use us as his workmanship. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this day. Just that you drew us into this letter to the Romans, God, that was written for a specific situation and served a specific purpose, God, and that you're going to use that, God, to remind us of the work done on the cross. This book of Romans is just, it's, it's going to be a, a telling of the gospel over and over and over again. We heard of the Romans road before God that walks us through salvation, God. And then we're going to see that in and out as we walk through the book of Romans, God. And it all points to who you are. And I pray for protection over the people here at this church, God, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they would know that they have the power of the Holy Spirit to rebuke the enemy, God. I pray, God, that as we go through this, we would just be drawn and united on you because of the work done on the cross, God, and let it serve as warning and, and just lead us through this, God, so patiently and lovingly, God, as we go through it together. There is so much we're going to get into through the, through the letter to the Romans, God, and it's going to, sometimes it might get uncomfortable, and I just pray, God, for you to protect us from the enemy in those uncomfortable times and let it draw us into each other to have conversations and ask questions about who you are, God, ultimately to praise your name and give you the glory, God. And I say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're up, Jan.